Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us on the journey. Well, this month, we have been looking at what we call it's election time. We had a midterm election a few weeks ago. There are still some pockets in the country where they're still counting votes. It seems kind of <laughs> it's hard to believe. Hard to believe that in some places it's not over. But we've, we, what we wanted to do with this, since election was in the news all day for several days, uh, is just to talk about the place of the government and the Christian. And so in our very first lesson, we talked about not allowing politics to drive our emotions. And before we leave that thought, we need to ask our listeners, how did you do with that? Because some might have been upset. Some might not thought things went the way it should have gone. But are we allowing politics? Are we allowing the news? Are we allowing the day to drive our emotions and take us places we shouldn't go? And so maybe you need to go back and re-listen to that first podcast in this series. It might help you once again. Last time we talked about the role of the government. And what we saw was that the government is ordained by God. And God does not specify what form of government, whether it's a democracy or monarchy or communism, but the right of people to make rules and to govern a body of people comes from God. Without that, there's chaos. It's like the end of the book of Judges when every man does what is right in his own eyes. You cannot function as a society that way. You go in there and you lay down a $5 bill to buy you a Coca-Cola, and the guy at the store says, well, this is $1. You say, it's 5 and He says, well, to me, it's $1. And, and you get nowhere. How, 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 how do you know that 12 inches is 12 inches unless there's some standard agreements upon that? And so that's the role of the government. The government is to do those things. Now, in our last lesson, that's today, it takes us to the other side of that, and that is what is the obligation of the disciple toward the government? What does God want us to do when we think about these governments? Now, again, when we read our New Testament passages, we need to remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul didn't go to election booth, and he didn't cast a vote. Uh, it was run by the Roman hierarchy of Caesars. They were very immoral, very corrupt, very evil. And yet in that system, God had some regulations for his people. And that's what we want to begin by talking about today. There are several passages, obviously, that just leap to the forefront when it comes to, to this idea. And the first one maybe is First Timothy chapter 2, the first couple of verses where Paul, of course, is writing to young Timothy, an evangelist who's been left in the city of Ephesus. And it is up to Timothy to help this church develop in Paul's absence. And he writes to Timothy in, in chapter 2, verse 1. One, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. But he doesn't stop there. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, 
godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, Roger, I would suggest, okay, if we're trying to find out what is the disciples' role here, I'm going to pick one from right there in the middle. I need to be a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified influence for good in my community and wherever it is that I am able to exercise influence. I am first and foremost a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I would draw from this, first of all, it matters the way I conduct myself in society. Also, as as he began this section by talking about the prayers, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving not only be made on behalf of all men, but for kings and all who are in authority. So we need to be praying for those who are in the roles of the government. Now, it's real interesting to say, oh, I got some prayers I want to pray. I want God to remove these people, or I want these, you know, we can think of all kinds of things. But in that list of entreaties and prayers and petitions is thanksgiving, to be thankful for the people that are in that position. Now, we need to be praying that they will abide by God. We need to be praying that through their policies and through the laws that are made, that it leads to what Jason just said, the tranquil and quiet life, that we can conduct ourselves as God wants us to. But we know before this book was finished, uh, the Bible, that those authorities in Rome would turn it against the Christians. Right. And it would be very hard for them to practice their faith. We know from the story of history that a lot of them had to worship in catacombs and go underground for just the sake of being alive. Yet, that did not change what God wanted his people to do. And that's foremost as we think about our relationship to these authorities. Well, and I I think that's where verse 3 of this chapter is very, very, very valuable. You know, a lot of times when we think of, okay, Christian and government, we think, first of all, maybe of verses 1 and 2. I need to be the right sort of person, and I need to to pray for people in positions of authority. But verse 3 is where he emphasizes, this is good. You know, that, that sort of language takes us all the way back to page 1 of our Bible, when God created things and said, it is good. Well, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, and for some reason, he connects verses 1 and 2 to God's intense desire that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's the reality. I, by my manner of life, by my actions and interactions and reactions, can in fact be a hindrance, a stumbling block, perhaps, to others coming to a knowledge of the truth. If I am governed by the winds of my emotions and frequently lose my temper and put people that I don't agree with down and slander and badmouth people in positions of authority... It very well may be that down the line, someone is trying to figure out the right thing to do, and they say, well, I see the way that you live, and I thought you were a Christian, but I've seen the way you live, right? And so 
the manner of life has to do perhaps with my ability to influence someone, bringing them to God, but also my prayers, leading this quiet, godly, dignified, peaceful life. Doesn't that take us back to near the very beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? You're the salt of the earth. Salt is down in the midst and mix of it all, and it works quietly. It works subtly, but it works. You are the light of the world. The ultimate goal is to bring as many people to Jesus Christ as possible. I need to make sure that my political affinities and affections don't get in the way of that mission. And and what a contrast that is to take, like back in the first century world, a pagan person like a Caesar who was not godly, who was very corrupt, but to take his name to the holy God of heaven. Yeah. And that's what the, the apostles want. That's what God wants us to do. And we remind ourselves from Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, that God moves kings and kingdoms. In uh, the book of Proverbs, it says the heart of the king is like channels of water in God's hand. He moves it wherever he wants. And so uh, if we prayed more and complained less, I think things would be a little bit better maybe, and we would see what God really wants us to do. Another great place we need to go to is Romans 13. Romans 13 is a, is a powerful section that involves uh, the role of the government and also shows the role of the citizen or the disciple toward the government. And so it begins in verse 1 of Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are established by God. He will repeat that statement in verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the conscience' sake. So right out of the bat, when we talk about what is my role toward the government, Paul first of all says to be in subjection to the government. Now, my question, Jason, is what does that mean? Yeah, well, we've been talking a lot about that here recently in other contexts. This past Sunday, we were in similar sort of territory where the Apostle Paul talked about submission even within our families, and we talked a little bit about how submission, all that that really means is the idea of voluntarily yielding to a recognized authority. We heard and even discussed this past Wednesday about the call to honor. Uh, we are, are to be a people of honor. And Peter in first Peter chapter three says, honor the emperor. Now, where this gets tense, perhaps for, for many disciples of Jesus is, okay, well, what if that emperor doesn't act honorably? Okay, well, he is subject to God. He is accountable to God. And we have many Old and New Testament uh, edicts and, and examples that, that show us that truth. That does not change the fact that, okay, I am to be a person of honor. I recognize the position of authority. I honor the position of authority. In Romans 13, Paul is revealing for us the authority that these governing authorities have. It is derived. 
It, it is not. They didn't come up with it uh, on their own. They didn't create it. Okay, uh, very similar to some of the founding documents in our own country that. People are created by God with certain inalienable rights, right? This is divine authority that is granted to governing authorities, and it is that principle of authority that we are to honor. If I can just chase that rabbit for a minute, if I am trying to raise children who generally respect authority— But every time I talk about authority, it's in very negative, ugly terms. I talk negatively about the police. I talk negatively about teachers. I talk negatively about shepherds in the Lord's church. I talk negatively about governing authorities. Then I ought not to be surprised that the next generation I am helping to raise will take it even further in their lack of respect for authority. I think that's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to realize. Absolutely. You know, I think a good example of this is when Jesus stood before Pilate and in John nineteen eleven, Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Yeah. He understood. He's trying to get Pilate to understand you're in a position of authority, but it's because God has given that to you. And so starting the very next verse in Romans 13, he shows us the opposite. If I'm not bending my will, if I'm not in subjection to the government, the opposite of that is I'm resisting it. And so he says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. In essence, what he's saying is you resist the government, you're resisting God, because God gave the government that role. Now, again, an illustration to what you said before about honor. Uh, we get a great example of David and King Saul. Yeah. Multiple times David could have killed King Saul. Saul was after David and was completely out of his mind by what he was doing. He was wrong, and David could have killed him. Saul was not honorable, but David recognized the, the position is, right. and God would take care of him in his own time. When David describes Saul over and over again, we hear him describing him as the Lord's anointed, right? Saul is acting dishonorably, but God has given this man time in this position of leadership. I need to honor the position of authority, even if the person in the position is acting in dishonorable ways. So then, then the apostle in the next two verses, verse three and four, kind of shows us uh, one side and then the opposite side. If we want to get along with the government, you want to have no fear of authority, he says in verse three, do what is good and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But then verse 4, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. And the reason is God gave the government the right to enforce laws and to punish. And so so once again, what, what we're finding through here is as a citizen, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm to obey the government. That's what God wants us to do. Back to verse 5 where we started earlier, it's not only because of wrath, but because of conscience sake that we need to be in subjection to them. Now he brings up a new thought in verse 6 and 7. He says, for because of this, 
because of the role that they play, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And so uh, what our role is, is to pray. Our role is to be in obedience or subjection to them. And our role is to render to them what they ask. And here he's talking about Taxes. Here he's talking about custom. Here he's talking about fear. Here he's talking about honor. And again, these are some of the things that shows our relationship with the government. All right. So does that not spark a question that gets kicked around here every once in a while? I hear what Paul is saying in Romans 13. But what if the government is going to use my tax money for things that I don't agree with, even things that I find morally repugnant? Does that give me the right not to pay taxes? How would you answer that? I'd say you better pay your taxes. Okay. <laughs> In this country, if you don't, you're going to be wearing orange being in jail. But uh, it's not just for that reason. Uh, those that are in charge of using those funds, deciding where they go, they are responsible for that. And so if they are acting immorally with that, if they're, if they're violating the will of God, God will cause them for that. We have done our duty, and our duty is to pay the taxes. And that's what God wants us to do. If it's misused, if it's abused, if they keep it for themselves to buy private airplanes and vacation overseas, uh, that's going to be between them and God. But our part, we have done our part as God wants us to. Yeah, I think Jesus gave us the definitive word on that question in Matthew 22, just exactly like you're saying. I mean, it couldn't be any more clear. (laughs) We've got people among the Jews who are trying to trap Jesus in his words. And so they just ask him, thinking either way he answers this question, we're going to get him in trouble with someone. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's a pretty straightforward question. And Jesus, aware of their malice, Matthew tells us, asks, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They bring him a denarius. Jesus says to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And of course, their answer is Caesar's. How powerful when Jesus says in verse 21, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. If this is Caesar's money and Caesar is charging you tax, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But it doesn't stop there. Give to God what is God's. Above all, you bear the image of God. And so live within this tension. You are a part of a a, a system of government. If that system of government imposes taxes, pay those taxes. Lead that godly, quiet, dignified, peaceful life that we started with. But above all, live as a servant of God. And, and what a greater uh, conclusion of that than the very taxes that Jesus told the disciples to pay would go to Rome, yeah. would go to the soldiers that would nail Jesus to that cross. Yeah. And so, you know, Jesus could very easily say, don't pay your taxes because we don't want this to know. No, they were to pay their taxes even though they were going to be involved with all kinds of crimes and wrongs in doing that. 
uh, that was the right thing that God wanted them to do. Yeah. Now, another question that uh, comes up when the subject is talked about, and that is, should a Christian get involved with politics? Um, let's say I want to run for city council yeah. or I want to run for mayor. Um, is that good? Is that bad? Does a Christian have any part involved with that? Through the years, historically, brethren have taken a lot of different views on this. And our our concern is not history, but biblically. Right, right. Well, that's actually what I was going to bring up first, that I think humility recognizes that brothers and sisters in Christ have landed at different places in that question. And I would suggest that is a scenario where the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit, says each one of you needs to be fully assured in his own mind. If it violates my brother's conscience to go vote on election day, I should not try to push him to vote. It is not a matter of right and wrong as far as uh, God's revealed will for the lives of disciples. And so I need to respect my brother's conscience on that front. But uh, there have been plenty of children of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, who have uh, decided, I, I think I can make a difference. And a verse that would help me along those lines is all the way back in Jeremiah 29, where God has used the Babylonian Empire to discipline the children of Israel, and he, through the prophet Jeremiah, says in chapter 29, verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, we need to respect the context there, obviously. This was the children of Israel being taken to Babylon, but even there in exile, what does God tell them to do? In a lot of ways, it's exactly what we've been talking about. Pray. Pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord on behalf of your community, on behalf of your city. He even goes so far as to say, seek its welfare. Be an influence for good. And so if you see an opportunity to make your diff- a difference in your community by serving on the school board, and you can do that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, retain your values, keep your emotions in check, keep your priorities the way that they ought to be, and serve as salt and light, then absolutely, I think you could do that with a clear conscience in the sight of God. So, you know, within that Jeremiah 29 passage, he he talks about them building homes, planting gardens, marrying. And and so what what he's really saying is you are going to be a blessing to Babylon. And we are to be a blessing to the world we live in. And however we can do that, you know, if if it's trying to change policy that's not right by by running or uh, having petitions, uh, we can do that. But we but we cannot forget these other principles. And so the place of rioting, the place of, you know, I don't like this law, so I'm going to just ignore this law, that's not being in subjection. And, and we got to keep our place as we think about that. So having said these things, uh, I guess you and I could run for president in 2024. <laughs> but that's no, not, thank you. That's, not, <laughs> that's never going to happen on this side of the table. I know that for sure. Never. 
But you know that the little hymn that that uh, the children often sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yes, that helps us as we think about this entire series about the government and the Christian, and that God has the whole world in His hand. We we sometimes may imagine that God has a American flag up there in heaven beside the throne, but He doesn't. Uh, long before there was America, there was God. Long after there's America, there is God. And God is first and foremost in our hearts. And that, that's what we gotta keep before us. And so, uh, and, and as I conduct myself, whether it's the local government or the state, or all the way up to the national level, I've gotta realize that I'm a disciple of Jesus. I gotta honor God through all those things. And people look at you. And your family looks at you. And what you say, how you conduct yourself, uh, has a lot to do with the character or whether Jesus is in us or not. This is a challenging conversation. But, Roger, I appreciate you wading through it with me. Of course, we haven't tackled every side issue in this. But I, I think an appropriate last verse uh, to wrap this up is Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, we seek to live in ways that make him look great and perhaps give us the opportunities uh, to bring others to him. Thanks for joining me today and throughout this three-part series. If you found any of this valuable, this is very much on the minds of many, many, many people. We would be honored if you feel it worthwhile sharing with someone else. We always appreciate you listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope our conversation has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, what a blessing. When you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound and the best is yet to come.